0: Hey, welcome to the Gig Life Podcast. I'm your host, Stevie Taylor. I hope you're good. Now, before we rip into this episode, I just want to make a call out to any brands, companies, organisations that would be interested in working with me in sponsoring or supporting the Gig Life Podcast. If you have something that you'd like to promote or sell that will reach hundreds of unique people per week, thousands per month through this podcast, please hit me up. If you know somebody, point them my way. Send me an email on thegiglifepodcast at gmail.com or get in touch via my socials. Um, alternatively, if you dig it, you can donate or leave a tip for the Gig Life Podcast. Click on the link in the show notes or go to thegiglifepodcast.com. Okay, episode 110, Stan Bicknell, here we go. guest today is Stan Bicknell. Stan is a New Zealand-born drummer who for the past 13 years has based himself out of Melbourne, Australia. In this time, he's toured and recorded with many artists locally and internationally, including 48 May, Miami Horror, Tonight Alive, Echo Vandal and Kimbra. During his time with Kimbra, Stan played on her acclaimed album Vows. His Motown grooves can be heard on the track Cameo Lover. Which won both an ARIA and APRA, as well as playing on her iconic Sing Sing sessions on YouTube, clocking up millions of views. Stan has a strong online presence, which in 2018 was noticed by Jared Falk, the owner and creator of Canadian based drum education platform Drumio. Jared invited Stan on to Drumio, where he spent two days performing and recording songs and courses based on his ability behind the kit and his unique single kick technique which has taken the drumming community by storm Stan is a frequent performer at drum festivals now based back in Papamoa New Zealand Stan is excited to be home he's already been called in as a backup to New Zealand drum and bass juggernauts shapeshifter as well as kicking off a couple of new projects himself Stan's a coffee nut an incredibly gifted musician and just a bloody nice guy so here he is ladies and gentlemen it's Mr. Stan Bicknell. I think we're rolling. Stan Bicknell, welcome to the Gig Life Podcast.
1: Kia ora bro, how are you going? Yeah, good bro, yourself? Good man, um, thanks for having me on. It's nice to... Finally, have a yarn with you. I've been sort of listening to your sultry voice for a while now, so it's Stop pretty cool to be actually having a chat with you. How are you going?
0: <laughs> yeah, good, bro, good. Yeah, we've we've been um, communicating online for a while, and and uh, um, it's yeah, it's cool to actually get to talk to you now. Wanted um, like to talk for a while, and um, there's just so many connections these days, you know. Like I know heaps, heaps of people that and you know, I've had on the show that. That you know you're you're hanging with now and and have have hung with before and, and this we're talking about Melbourne and and now New Zealand you know it's yeah it's cool it's kind of a um what's the word I'm looking at this is incestuous little
1: oh it's definitely this little a bit group like that, we got bro. yeah <laughs> yeah I've noticed that especially since being back in New Zealand just yeah. um just with the people that I'm coming across and they all work with each other and they all but it's all about looking after each other too like there's a lot of um there's a real tight crew over here in the industry yeah. and they seem to all have each other's backs, which is really cool.
0: Yeah, it is cool. And, you know, New Zealand's winning winning the uh, the, yes. the concert game, the music game. Um, I've been sitting over here from afar watching, you know, the coverage of the, the festivals and, and yeah. that kind of stuff and, you know, really envious that we're not able to get out to shows like that because, you know, as most people know, it's, that kind of music's just not going on here at the moment. And, um, no, it's it's slowly crazy, start, eh? sl- yeah, slowly starting to come back, but, um, um but it's
1: on a knife's edge though, isn't it? You know, yeah, totally. the whole thing. I mean, it even is here to a degree, but like I was on tour over new years and I was putting a lot of stuff up in my socials and mm. cause I have quite a big international audience, people that aren't from New Zealand or Australia. So America yep. and, um, in Brazil, are like <laughs> sort of a big audience over there. And, they were just buzzing out, man. It just, they're like, I was at a festival and there were thousands of people around me yeah. and they yeah. were just like, what are you guys doing? You're spreading the COVID. And I was like, "No, nah, it's not here, man. Like, you it's know, not here." Yeah. And, and touching wood, because there's always a chance that it's going to pop back up here again. And they do have the old outbreak than they have had. Um, But yeah, it's just, I kind of, uh, it was kind of, I took for granted how it was looking to the global community, how rela how lucky we are here, you know, and, um, definitely didn't take it for granted after that, though, and even got to talk to Jacinda about it, bro. <laughs>
0: I saw the photos, man. I saw the photos. That's weird. Eh? Yeah, yeah it was so
1: I funny, man. I, I don't think I've clammed up more in front of anyone than I did in front of her, right, eh?
0: Yeah, she's got some mana, that's for sure.
1: That's yeah, hard out, sure. bro. And yeah. she was real low key. She was wearing a bomber jacket and a hat, and she was trying to be low profile. But she's a fan yeah. of shapeshifters. She was hanging Big out at the back and the tents and stuff, and it was just crazy, man. She was asking heaps of questions about the hotel quarantine because obviously that's the make or break of any country, really. That's doing that that system. So it's just mm. a cool yarn, eh?
0: Oh, so she was asking you about your experience?
1: Yeah, bro. Because I just had it yep. like two weeks earlier, and mm. um. Yeah, and she was just, uh, she was like, quite genuinely, she was like, So, how how were the hotels? Where where did you stay? And I was like, Oh, I was down in Wellington and I stayed at one. And then two weeks later, my wife stayed at the other one. And she goes, Were they good? And I was like, Yeah, they were really good, man. Like, tight Mm. operation, treated real seriously. The food was real good. But that is the make or break with the country. And it was like, I keep saying to everyone, it's just, it was treated real seriously, but with that Kiwi charm about it too. Everyone was just Mm. ultra lovely that were doing their job, you know?
0: Yeah. Um, I've got a mate, I've got a mate in quarantine at the moment in Rotorua. Um, he had no idea where he was going to end up.
2: Yeah. Same. Um,
0: oh, right. Yeah. So wh- when do you find out? Do you find out when you land and they yeah. ship you ship you off?
1: Yep. Yeah. So once I landed in Auckland, they take you into like a, like a holding room, basically like a pen. No, <laughs> it's just like, a, um, <laughs> just like a, a little room where everyone's sort of sitting there and. They basically tell you what's going to go down and then they tell you where you're going at that point. And so it could be anywhere of five cities. So, okay. um, and it's funny, man, cause I had actually already bought a car from Melbourne down in Wellington. So I was quietly hoping that it would be Wellington and then <sighs> it, it was Wellington. So once quarantine finished, um, I could just walk out and go get the car. And the car that I bought, bro, was on the same street as the hotel.
0: No. <laughs> that's I awesome. literally
1: just walked <laughs> seven hundred meters up the road with my bag and grabbed the keys and drove to Hawks Bay. Oh, it was sweet. so that's bizarre, awesome. man.
0: <laughs> yeah. Man, that's wicked. Yeah. Um, yeah. all right. So we'll we'll talk about a whole bunch of stuff today. I thought what we'll start with and what I've been starting with with um most of my guests is the the COVID journey, and because um, you, you know you 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 were in Melbourne for how long twelve twelve years yeah thirteen years, years yep. I think yep um and yeah recently moved to New Zealand curious as to how that decision was made that you decided to come back to New Zealand was it in the back of your mind already or um was it something that was brought on by by COVID um and also what else did you have sort of planned and. And what got bl- what sort of got blown out by the whole COVID thing?
1: Yep, yeah, um, it's an interesting one, eh? Because I suppose with everyone you're talking to, everyone's got a way different story about it, too. A. in my situation, it was, um, my wife and I come back to New Zealand quite a lot, and we have done over the last 12 or 13 years, just family and all those reasons. So we would come back multiple times a year for weddings. I see generals. your
0: your wife's, your wife's Kiwi as well,
1: yeah, she's from Wellington. Yep. Formatica, so we we moved over together only after seeing each other for about a year. And so yeah, okay. the bulk of our whole time has been in Melbourne and um and yeah, so we had actually by January last year just as covid was sort of getting talked about globally, we had actually been in New Zealand for 3 weeks at my sister-in-law's wedding and um so my my wife's sister's wedding and we had decided that we were going to move back within 12 months pop, around January um this year. And so we, we went back to Melbourne with that sort of in our mind. And I own a coffee roastery or I owned a coffee roastery over there. So the first thing for me was to sort of talk to my business partners about it and just say, look, this is what I want to do. And they're Kiwi boys as well. And they've always known that I had a big pull back to New Zealand because we have quite a big family back here. And wow. I've got my son back here now as well. And, um, and so they've known like, uh, they they don't deal with that pull as much as what I always have, so it was just a matter of time for me. So I spoke to one of my business partners about it, and then COVID hit. And um, at that stage, bro, everything was just so up and down. I didn't even know if I was going to even have a business after this because those remember how how shaky those first few months were, man. That just yeah. felt, everything just felt so crazy and uncertain, eh? and it was it yeah. was it was like. Something out of a movie, you know? Totally and true. we didn't know the intention of the government, whether our business was considered essential straight away. So there was mm. a bit of uncertainty in that. And then um, we did... So uh, after a few weeks, um, Rumble, the, uh, our roastery, was able to stay open, but a lot of the cafes that we service couldn't. So yeah. just because of their circumstances, whether they were a high foot thoroughfare area that just couldn't open or whatever. So we basically we were able to stay open, but we had to sort of um, pivot and turn the business model around. So we basically printed out 2000 flyers and handed them around all of our local suburbs and just said that we would um, deliver coffee free. Um, So free delivery every day. And so what we lost in the cafe sales, we sort of picked up in the home consuming sales. So, you know, coffee is one of those things that everyone or people always find money for regardless, and it seems to get you through the good times and the bad times. It's, so. funny, that,
0: it's funny that, isn't it? It just yeah. sort of reminds me of all those, like when you've when you released new music and, and um, uh, like I know that I've done it with the songs that I've released, like my, my uh, social media post would be instead of buying that coffee today, <laughs> Spin that
1: <laughs> yeah yeah that, totally spend that yeah, two ninety
0: <laughs> nine and buy my song you know
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah totally bro yeah and it's um, funny because like people always find money for coffee you know whether it's yeah. at home or if it's out so once yeah. we got the word out there things actually stabilized relatively quick for us in terms of a business so um then it was just about maintaining and just getting through it um luckily rumble sort of qualified for a few of the government assistance things as well which helped and um and yeah and so when it got to about august maybe a little bit later than that um my wife and daughter were home my wife's a freelance photographer she could do a little bit of work from home she couldn't go to any of the studios that she contracts for though she does quite um quite big shoots for for some of the bigger studios there and they were closed and my daughter was at home because obviously homeschooling was the only option so i so i would tag in uh, maybe once or twice a week and help with the homeschooling. And then I would just actually do my job as usual, bag up coffee, talk to my customers, take orders, and just do my my normal stuff. And then when we got to August, uh, sort of, yeah, July, August, September, we actually realized that we could still stick with our original plan and move back to New Zealand. And so I then once again had the conversation with my business partners and just said, look, um, this is this is the time for us. And now that I know that Rumble is going to be okay, it's probably the right time I exit. And um And, yeah, we just uh, started working towards that, bro. And originally we were going to move back in January, but I just said to my wife, let's just try and get back before Christmas because I think that it would be nice to start the year in New Zealand, not move there um, in January when the year's sort of already kicked off. And I'm real Mm -hmm. stoked we did that because it just sort of, it really created that vibe of we got to have Christmas with our family here. And then we got to like, when it ticked over to January 1st, we were in New Zealand somewhat settled a couple of weeks under our belt in our house and just kind of like, all right, what's 2021 got for us, you know? Mm. Um, and then obviously being here also meant that um, when I got the call to jump in with the shape shifter, um, I could say yes to it. Cause I was actually here. There are a few things that happened in December that wouldn't have happened obviously. Um, Cause I, w- I we weren't originally going to be here then. So it's yeah. all sort of um, worked out quite well, really. Mm. Yeah. yeah,
0: that's good. That's good. And you're in you're in Papamoa now, which is which is um, uh, suburb in Tauranga. Yeah. Um. So people that don't know where that is, Google it. Um, sunny
1: Papamoa. <laughs> twenty three yeah, so and sunny every day, bro. <laughs> yeah.
0: So you're wash you wash from Wellington. Where are you from originally? I'm
1: from Hastings, so
0: Hawke's Bay. You're from Hastings. Yep. Yeah. yeah cool. Yeah, I'm from yeah. I'm from Masterton originally.
1: Oh, yeah, true. Yeah, from the the wire Rapper. Yeah, Yeah. awesome.
0: (laughs) All right, so that's the COVID thing. Um, We'll talk about, you know, how you got that shapeshifter call and and a little bit more about that kind of stuff a little bit later. Um, Let's roll it back now. Let's go right back to how it all began and um, growing up in Hastings and, um, you know, where the music, bugs sort of started to happen happen for you is your um are your parents musical or siblings so
1: it's a funny thing eh? like I've got some very key memories about where music fit in my life when I was young but my neither of my parents played any instruments um my nana had a piano at her house and um I always remember finding myself sitting at the piano with my sisters tapping away on the keys and stuff and both of my parents had a strong connection to music so my old man was like he still is like a very classic rock guy. So he got in, that's where I got in my Eagles and Def Leppard and Diastrates and um, Led Zeppelin. And I mean, geez, just the list goes on. So all that sort of classic stuff. And then the other side, my mum was really into um, things like Elton John and David Bowie and George Michael and Katie Lang. And like, all this whole other side of music. She's a, um, she's a pom. So she was born in England. So, okay. um, so a strong pull from, and I, and I think like now seeing where my musical tastes sit as an adult, I'm definitely a byproduct of both of them. Um, yep. and they really connected to music. So I have fond memories of my mum cleaning every Sunday, like pledging everything and the music was cranking and she was singing. And, and then my dad was always defining songs by that's a great, that, that's the sort of song you'd have on at a barbecue. Like that's how he rates a song. Like oh yeah that this is good barbecue music you know so that was sort of the the that they they have a strong affinity with music but they just didn't actually play any music themselves you know. But then um, for I me, just, oh sorry, you go.
0: Sorry, sorry, yeah, I just got a um, a childhood flashback then of a smell <laughs> of Pledge. For, for the, <laughs> That's a
1: for brutal the,
2: smell, <laughs> eh? Hey? Yeah,
0: for the Australian audience and the international audience, um, Pledge is like a it's a furniture cleaner spray. Um, it's got a very distinct smell, and, and I, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. yeah and I used I to have can a job it now as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I used to have a job at a um, secondhand shop after school, and I used to go in with the pledge and have to clean all the clean yeah. all the furniture. So, oh,
1: so <laughs> sorry, buddy, sorry about I that. Can totally smell <laughs> yeah. that now as well. It's so weird. Yeah, um, and, you
0: know, being a being yeah. a Kiwi in Australia or you know in any, any other country, it's those little things that just set you off sometimes, and you can. Smell it straight away, and you can taste it straight away. Makes <laughs> yeah. you want to go home.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's so weird, eh? Yeah, yeah and I, um, yeah, with the music stuff though, I have memories also of being really into. I don't know if you remember the Simpsons tape, Sing the Blues. Yep. So I knew that tape back to front, and I would always mimic or pretend that I was playing the saxophone. And I'm talking like eight, nine, or ten. So this is quite early on. Still not playing an instrument, but music at that age was already pretty important to me. I used to memorize lyrics to music to songs that I really liked that I came across and um and I just remember having a connection to it. It wasn't until Did I got you, given Were you able also, sorry,
0: were you were you able to memorize quickly or was it something you had to work yep. on?
1: No, no, relatively quickly. Like if it was lyrics, yep. there was always a rhythm to it. So I I would write them down and um and I used to make like mixtapes and, you know, um fake radio stations with my sisters and stuff. And we used yep. to write scripts of the stuff that we would say and whatnot <laughs> and record them on the double date <laughs> tape deck, you know, that whole yeah, thing awesome. Um, and, and yeah, so, um, the memory thing, it actually, that, that actually got better over time, but, um, it's quite funny. I actually was talking about this with someone recently, how I, so I found music because I got given my dad's guitar that he had when he was my age, when I was 12, right? So when he was 12, he had a guitar, just a nylon string acoustic, quite a, a bad, like the, the, the neck was bowed. It was quite a pig of a guitar, but. He gave me up, and so I played that thing from 12 to 13 and a half. That's all I did. And then one day my stepdad said to me when I was about yeah, 13 and a half, 14, he said that I was tapping a lot. Maybe I should look at drumming. And um, and I was like, oh, okay, cool. So I found myself on a friend's brother's drum kit one day uh, in Topor, and just started playing the drums, and I, I played the money beat and got quite a euphoric feeling from that. And that was the mm. moment right then where I was like, oh, yeah, okay, this is me. And then it was just sort of um, a series of events after that in terms of like diving deeper and deeper and deeper. So I've always played the guitar, but I would never consider myself a guitarist. It's just something that I do because I like it. But um, as soon as I hit the drums, there was a, a definitely a strong connection in terms of just understanding the instrument or just feeling comfortable on it. The, mm. I think it's the physical aspect of it as well. Because the guitars no. always meant a lot to me because I have a strong affinity with melody with music. Some of my favorite moments in music don't even have drums on them. But yep. the drumming thing, there's just something, it just goes straight through me. It's a physical thing. Yep. So, yeah, but with the memory part of it, bro, I remember my mum used to buy a lot of those tapes, those um, memory tapes, like Mega Memory and all that. and um, Yeah, those right. Kind of like self-help tapes, but they're all yeah, about yeah. kind of... but. And they were in those plastic binders, you know. And I would, listen, <laughs> I would watch her listening to these things. And and I could hear the way that these guys were talking on the tapes. And it kind of tripped me out. Like, I understood the process of just repetition, basically. So I used yeah. to, like, long story short, is that I used to make these mixtapes of me talking to myself about how to learn a song that I was learning. So mm-hmm. I would, like, break down the verse and the chorus. And I would say, in this section, you're going to play the higher hats and the um, the snare and the kick drum, and then I would just play that little part of the song, and and I used to go to sleep to these tapes, bro. I used to make these little friggin' like tapes of. uh That sounds so strange. I wish I still had the tapes. So you, so
0: you, it's so, so you, liter- to to. You know, there's that saying. You know, you love the sound of your own voice. You literally, <laughs> love, you literally yeah. love the sound of your own voice. It's yeah, put I know. puts you to sleep. That's awesome.
1: Yeah, pretty nutty, but I actually think it really did help with my memory because I used to go to sleep to yep. these tapes and then um have the songs drilled into me that I was trying to learn at the time and I've always learned by memory so it's a chicken or egg thing did I have a good memory or did I get a good memory I don't know. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, it's always served me pretty well.
0: That's cool. Um now how was school life for you? Were you you um I think sounds but. You know, by the way that you talk, you it sounds like you're well educated. And did you do okay at school? Was it something you sort of
1: So that's a really good question, man. I've actually never talked about that. Not publicly anyway. To be honest with you, bro, I um I left school uh, at fifteen. I didn't finish school C. Okay. Um, I left halfway through my school C year. As soon as I found music, man, that was all I really cared about. And then with the music mm-hmm. came other things that interested me as well. And I, and science and English were not part of that. <laughs> and um yeah, right. And so halfway through fifth form, I left home and left school. And then I came back to Karamu High and Hastings at the end of fifth form and asked if I could sit my school scene music exam. And they said yes, which now I is wow. absolutely crazy. So it was the only exam I sat, bro. So I've got my school scene music. I just thought mm-hmm. that was important. I went back, sat the exam, got it. And um, and I just started working from from uh, from then onwards. Um, and so, yeah, like I left school at, at 15. So, nah, education, like... It just Once I found music, it just sort of never really worked with me, sort of the way the school was structured and stuff. And I always backed myself in terms of being motivated enough to survive. And so I just got a job. And it's kind of weird when I look back on it, um, the drums were the consistency. Like I always found time for them, bro, even when I was trying to like survive and live and flat and, and all of that. But the drums were just always the consistency. And no matter what I was doing, I always called myself a drummer. If people asked what I did, I said, I'm a drummer. But I
2: was never getting <laughs> paid cool. for it. But it was just always yeah, how I that's, identified that's cool. to the world. It's so funny, <laughs> eh? That's yeah. cool. Going yeah.
0: back to the School C thing, School C music was the only thing I passed as well. Oh, um, true. But I, I st- I st- yeah, I stayed on to sixth form. Oh, yeah. Um, I failed School C maths two years in a row. Yeah. First year, 31%. Second year, 11 Oh, bro! Yeah, so both God, both years uh, both both years don't even add up to a pass. So, oh, that's
1: amazing. So, maths
0: math has never been. It's, it's funny though because I'm quite good at maths now because the job that I do now, I'm, I'm an electrical fitter. So,
1: oh, true, so there's lots of formulas
0: that. and stuff. Yeah, that um, there's formulas and stuff that I had to learn. So, my maths is. is pretty good now, you know?
1: That's so funny, yeah. yeah. I honestly think a lot of it's to do with the structure, man. It's not that I'm not intellectual or don't think about things or don't go deep on stuff that I'm interested in. Just that format wasn't working for me at the time. And to be honest, like, my my living circumstances weren't ideal as well, hence me leaving home and stuff. And my parents were separated and stuff, so there's, you know, there's other parts to it as well. But just by and large, the school never felt like an anchor for me. It was just a music room, really. (laughs) Yep, yep. Yeah. And
0: just sort of going back to the – um you know, how I was saying that both years of, you know, maths, I, I, <laughs> I failed. I've always had a way of a different way, I suppose, a different logic of working out um, equations and stuff like that. So, yeah, true. you know, whereas, you know, the school certificate, there was a specific way that you had to do it and there was no, there was no sort of other way to do it. You looked at the back of my exam and there's 50 little mini equations that got me to the answer.
1: Yeah right. But because yeah. you had
0: to show the working that 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 they taught you, you know that was your pass, and it never worked for me. But yeah, now I can funny. use I can I can use that logic and those ways of getting to the answer. You know, it just takes oh. a bit longer.
1: Bro, I look at the way that um, the schooling system is teaching my daughter to break down equations now, and it makes no sense yep. to me because it's changed again. Yep, <laughs> totally. Yeah. You so. know. Yeah, it's funny. And
0: my my both my girls are guns at math, so I just stay out of the way.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I'm not very academic in that sense. So my wife jumps yeah. in on those things.
0: Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Um,
1: all right. So what about
0: school bands? Did you um put some school bands together or get asked to join school bands and what kind of music was that?
1: Yeah, so the first band that I was in at school was actually an intermediate. So I was uh 13 at the time but I wasn't on drums I was on um I started on bass guitar but the bassist oh sorry the, the keys player was struggling so I actually learned the keys parts over the weekend and then came back and jumped on keys and he jumped on bass and we went we did the smoke free rock quest bro we were the only did intermediate you? band there and we yep. were the only band that played a cover because we were so young and we played right? Um, we played no doubt don't speak right. so that was so what, that year, was, was that?
0: That, what year
1: was that uh, well I was I was born in '84, and I was 13 then, so that would have been '97.
0: Yeah, right, young fella, you're young. Yeah, boy. bro, '96, '97.
1: Awesome. So yeah, I was like either form yeah. one or form two. I can't remember now. I just remember that we went from Topore up to Hamilton, and we did our entry at Hamilton Girls High and um, in the hall there, and we didn't get through. But we were also the only band that didn't play an original song.
0: <laughs> right, you know, um, Aaron, Aaron Tokuna.
1: Yeah, I know that name. Yeah
0: yeah yeah well he's um uh he had a band in the smoke free rock quest and it was ninety 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 one or ninety two i think it was it was the second year yeah and uh we we were we went up against them in the in the wellington regionals for the rock quest oh,
2: yeah West. yeah, yeah and just yeah. got
0: smashed he was too yeah. much man he's <laughs> he, hell of a talent you know
1: yeah, yeah. Well, we um. When I- so when I so that was in Topa at the time, and then I moved down mm. to Hastings again, back with my old man. And this was mm. my fifth form year at Katamu, and I joined the band that was sort of the Katamu band then, who had done the Rock Quest a couple of years in a row. They were in their seventh form year, and their drummer okay. was seventh form the previous year, so he was out of school then, and they needed a drummer, and I just moved to the school, so I became their drummer, and we did. Rockwest again and we actually got into the regionals that year and got to record a single and do that whole thing and awesome. that was really cool yeah and that was original material too so yeah always always had a you know projects on the go or bands on the go through school um and then once leaving school then it was just sort of uh there were there were lots of different bands, bro actually between like 16 and 19 um it was just about survival but I kept playing and mm-hmm. it was around eighteen nineteen that the proper bands um, and my identity as a player started to form, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I joined a, um, a prog band. Oh, no, first first and foremost, I had a tall tribute band. I should probably mention that first because I was playing in a Tool tribute that I'd set up with a few older boys in Hamilton at that point and we were gigging and stuff and our guitarist left. And so we were training up a new guitarist. Now, bear in mind, I was 18 now and these guys were sort of like, uh, 28 and 30, the other two guys. And we were training a, a guitarist um, who was about 24, 25. And his friend was coming in and helping him um, with his parts, basically, because he was tr- struggling with some of Adam Jones' parts. And after sort of watching us play a bit, his friend hit me up and said he was starting an original project and was interested in joining. And he said they tried a couple of drummers, but they weren't really getting where they were coming from. And he gave me a couple of demos and it was it was kind of like a clean version of Sugar mixed with mm. like um, a little bit of the Mars Volder and Battles. Mm-hmm. It was just sort of like just really interesting music with almost a bit of a pop sensibility. Um, mm. We had a couple of jams and it really popped off for us. And so that was the start of the new Caledonia, which was my sort of um, instrumental band that I played in for, from like 18 to 21. Um, mm. Recorded an album, did a few things and, Uh, It was a real fun band because it was the sort of band where we sort of all honed our chops in, I suppose. There were no rules in that band. Um, And that's sort of what led on to joining 48 May as well and that journey starting. Yep. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Let's go back to um, some of your early drumming influences. Who were the drummers that were – I mean, you you spoke of um, Mars Volta and obviously Danny Carey, Tool, and that kind of stuff. But um, who were some of the other –
1: well, so the early early guys were guys like Dave Grohl. Uh, I, I basically, what looking back on what my musical tastes were when I was young, when I was playing the drums, was generally based around where my ability was, because the, okay. the music that I tended to hone in on for long periods of time was really what I was trying to learn. And so, okay. in the early days, it was things like Pearl Jam, um so Dave Abruzio, like that that era. And because I just yep. loved, yeah, his, his that, that era, I really loved his kit sound. Um, yeah, Dave Grohl as well, and then um, Bonzo was a big influence as well. Me and my friend used to work a lot on Led Zeppelin stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I found like as I got older, um, things changed. So I actually was a bit of a product of that new metal era. So obviously, Rage Against the Machine before the new metal thing, so Brad Wilk, but then going into guys like Abe Cunningham, John Otto. Um, even David Silvera, so when he was, you know, the early stuff with Corn, all that mm. new metal stuff, where they basically got cranked snares and they're playing mm-hmm. in a heavy band, but they're almost playing like hip hop beats behind them.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. They yeah.
1: don't even really chop out; it's more just like laying down a fat pocket. And so yeah. I just killed my time just playing along to these albums over and over again, man. And they weren't; they were never like like looking back on it. It wasn't until I started getting into Tool and sort of my later teens and bands like that where I started to. Grasp the concept of chops or fills and things like that because the guys prior weren't really doing that. Your Brad Wilkes and your John Ottos and your David Silveras, and they weren't really chops guys. They were just fat pocket guys with a big cranked snare, you know? And that still is a real big foundation in my playing to this day, man. Like, I still get on the kit and I can hear that influence coming out of me, and it's a great influence, you know?
2: Yeah.
0: Um, I, I know what you mean by that because I've been watching some of your uh, YouTube clips, your your some of the covers, the play-alongs.
1: Oh, yeah, and yeah, yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah. So it's it's certainly classic, that stuff, sure. Yeah,
1: totally, yeah. And then, like, yeah. getting into the later teens, it was more guys like, yeah, so I said the Mars folder. um yeah. the, the chop side of playing started to sort of get into me a little bit more. Steve Smith, man, he was, like, when he was in Vital Tectones, that was yeah, a really yeah. big influence for me. Jeff Campitelli, when he was playing with Joe Satriani, um, Steve Vai, like, that whole shredder guitar thing was um, really yeah. big as well. So mm-hmm. those sort of guys, a lot of those session players that were around at that time, I mean, that was when I was listening mm-hmm. to Mike Mangini for the first time, Thomas Lang back when he was with Sonor in the like, late teens, early 20s, all those sort of guys.
0: That um, Thomas Lang, that just reminds me, like that Sonor, his first instructional video.
1: Yeah, that era. Uh,
0: yeah, that era, era with the multiple pedal, multiple splashes, and just that Uh that I hadn't seen, up to that point, I hadn't seen Independence played like that.
1: I don't think anyone had, t- man. It was a real, <laughs> no, like, that was a massive it was eye-opener. Else. It just took the world and, by
0: storm, eh? And it was a different sound, too. He had a different sound. Yeah. He was doing that stuff to that different sound, you know. Different
1: so part of the world, yeah. eh? They look at music different. But then also, For, um, his sonor was just singing, man. Like, I almost, yeah. like, it was just such a, that was back when I was really into sonor, too, because a lot of the guys I was listening to, so Thomas Hark, Steve Smith, um, Danny Carey, they were also all sonor guys as well. So okay. when he came along, I was like, whoa, just to see how far you could take the instrument, but also yeah. completely <laughs> deflating as well, because it was all it was too far. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Eh? <laughs> yeah. And meanwhile, exactly. like I'm still just trying to like live, man, like you know, hold a job and flat yeah. and trying to pay my bills. And um and it was around that time that I had my first child as well. So I had my son when I was 19 years old. And yeah. um and so it's really funny looking back on it now, how chaotic it kind of I, I, it looks if you were to look at it on paper, but at the time it just felt like I love drums, I need to work to live, I love my son, um, and it's all fine, you know <laughs> we'll yeah. make it work
0: okay, so let's talk about some of those jobs that you had then um, was coffee on the on the horizon at this stage or was that something that you sort of grew into?
1: Well hospitality was so my grandparents owned okay. um Robert Harris and Topo. So I started working oh, okay. there when I was eleven years old. Uh oh. so I would go there every Saturday and Sunday and work from ten to three, just clearing tables and doing the dishes and whatnot. And then when I left school I actually started working at New World as a trolley boy, got graduated mm-hmm. to checkout and then got graduated mean. to assistant mean. freezer. Yeah, man. Yeah, the checkout was great. <laughs> hey. Assistant and then they put freezer? me in the Stop freezer, it. bro. Stop <laughs> it. <laughs> Yeah, but they upped my pay, though. I think I remember, man, I was getting paid $6.45 at the time. I was 16 years old at that point because I'd been there for a little bit. And yeah, I just remember, whoa, I'm on six dollars forty-five an hour and I'm I'm <laughs> flatting and I'm doing it, man. I was sixteen. Yeah. Like my boy's yeah, yeah. sixteen now, and I'm like, Jesus, he can barely tie a shoelace, you know. Yeah,
0: you'll probably get <laughs> were you getting paid like a fridge allowance, a cold yeah. allowance or something?
1: <laughs> yeah, and I would get given um the the boxes of frozen um goods that have been dropped. And so it was great. Right. I had heaps of like Eskimo pies and all this sort of shit. Oh me. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I did that for a bit. And then when I moved to um I mean, I moved up north to Hamilton. I actually ended up working at Nando's for a bit, man. And I even had to put oh, on yeah. the chicken suit for a brief period and hand out flyers, oh, like real humble beginnings, <laughs> man.
2: <laughs> but uh,
1: I just did whatever I had to do to, to like, to pay my way, man. I was never like, yeah. as soon as I started working at 11, I just realized really quickly the concept of if I, if I want something, I just have to go work and get the money. So I broke yeah. that barrier down pretty quick. Um mm. And then, Yeah, so after doing the Nando's thing, um, I got my first cafe job because I actually sort of bullshitted the boss and said that I knew how to make coffee. And before the interview, I went and spent some time with a friend of mine and asked him. He was a barista. I was only 18, 19 then. And I said, man, can you tell me some key words to say because I'm going to this interview? And he's like, oh, Mm. double espresso and long macchiato and cafe latte. And I was like, (laughs) okay, great. And then I went to this interview and just played ignorant. I was like, yeah, I haven't made coffee in a while. Um you know, maybe you'll need to re-remind me and all this sort of stuff. And then yeah. found myself driving a Ford <laughs> transit around um Hamilton with a coffee machine in the back and I'll drive up to businesses and make them coffee. Right. So that was around, yeah, like nineteen twenty at that point.
2: Okay. Funny little bit, so, that one.
0: Yeah. Um, so how long did that continue and, and um how far are we away how far away are we from Deciding that you're going to move to Australia, and how did that come about?
1: So the way that that worked is that um, I was in Hamilton at that point, and I was working at a cafe actually as a barista. And I was um, I started off as the barista, ended up as um, I went to head barista, and then became the cafe manager in the pace of in the space of about six months. And during that period, the New Caledonia, my band had finished our album. We had um, got three four star reviews and like New Zealand musician, and then a couple of other local rags as well. And we'd done a few gigs up and down the country. And like, to be honest, for a pro band, like it was starting to get some pretty good traction. Like there was, uh, like people were into it. I mean, you know, there were no ladies at our gigs, but there were a bunch of nerds that were loving it. So, <laughs> you know, as long as there were people buying tickets. Um, That's it. And yeah, then the boys got real hungry and they wanted to go to Melbourne and they, and they wanted to do the Melbourne okay. thing. But at that point, my son was only about one and a half years old. And I just said to them that it was too young for me to leave him. I can't leave him at this age because his mum and I weren't together. We separated when he was four months old. Once we realized we were functioning parents in our own right, we, we separated because we knew that we weren't going to stay together and um, just sort of like basically shared responsibility at that point um, and sort of treated him more like um, we're business partners. He's our little business. We don't always agree on how we want to run our business, but we always want the best for our business. So that was sort of the motto from day one really um and so yeah i didn't want to leave him so we ended up they ended up still coming to melbourne and uh, i stayed in hamilton and a little while after that 48 may came knocking on my door because their drummer had left and so um that that next year for me was basically jumping in with 48 may just as they had recorded their second album but hadn't started the tour cycle yet and so i got to sort of jump in and Um, they were with warners at the time and it was sort of i would say at the height of their power almost or whatever you want to call it so there were you know like um i did a couple of videos with them and it was my first taste of like a big video shoot where there's a lot of people and a crew and food and and then the gigs were sort of well organized and sort of and i'd never seen that world before and i was also playing to backing tracks as well and it was a big role to stand to step into in terms of um doing the job man because 48 may is a contrast to my previous band was about you're there to do a job you're one of four people for an ultimate sound it's not about you i'm playing i'm playing the groove i'm playing how it is i remember going to my first um audition with the band and and i i I jammed on the songs for about a week and i'd added some stuff in you know some of my stuff bringing in some of the new caledonia and i went to the first jam and shannon brown awesome dude Um, bass player he um we had played about three songs and he stops and he goes oh bro all that stuff that you're doing just sounds awesome man and i was like oh thanks bro and he's like but can you not do that and i was like (laughs) ah and it was a real penny drop moment for me man because i was really young they were a bit older than me too and i was like ah yeah true it was like seriously like everything made sense from that moment onwards and so from that moment (laughs) onwards i just honored the parts and just did the gig bro as best as i could you know um And then six months into playing with them, the New Caledonia, my boys messaged me and they said that they were struggling to find a drummer in Melbourne and what I consider coming over. And I said, well, I'm not prepared to come yet, but in another six months I will because mm. um, I'll i get my boy full-time for six months and, and then I'll come over. And basically, mm. long story short, that's what we did. I got my son full-time, continued playing with 48 May around New Zealand. And then um, when I felt like I'd really... Um, got to experience having him full time and and doing the dad thing. Um, I me and my I, I met my now wife then at that point. Um, we decided mm-hmm. to move to Melbourne, bro. So that was 2008 at that point. 2007, 2008. We we jumped on a plane and we moved to Melbourne, and that's when that journey started.
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: So straight off, straight off the plane. Besides um, hooking up with your boys to start playing, did you have any idea or any um, links to some jobs, um, baristas, some, something like that, or any, any sort of coffee house?
1: Nah, so it's funny, eh? Like, yeah, we, we met up with the boys um, that day when it had a jam at the local rehearsal space, got on the beers that night, as Dan Andrews would say. It reconnected with everyone, sort of figured it all out, um, sort of got on there, because you've got to bear, bear in mind too, it had been nearly a year that we hadn't been together as well, so we're sort of all just getting back on the level musically and as friends and stuff. And then the next, over the next couple of days I was helping the guitarist put up posters. He used to put up gig posters around cafes and his partner, his um, poster partner wasn't working, was away or something. So I was filling in just for a cashy. and we went into a cafe in the city and I overheard the barista talking to someone saying that they needed a barista and I actually hadn't intended on doing coffee in Melbourne I sort of thought that I might get into bar work or something I remember thinking I was going to get into bar work which is crazy to think now but I ended up leaving with my mate and then I went back two hours later because I kind of I I saw it as being like quite fortuitous that I overheard that conversation and so I just went back and introduced myself and said hey I'm fresh off the boat I make coffee I'm looking for a job Um, I, I overheard you before and a guy popped up from behind the counter and he said, hey, man, my name's Gabe. And uh, we sat down, did an interview there. And I started two days later. And I worked for that guy oh. for three and a half years, bro. And then he became my business partner in my first cafe.
0: Right. Very good. Yeah.
1: So that's funny. The guys that I met in that first week, one of them I've owned two businesses with and the other one, they were both my bosses, I owned one business with. So it's pretty much laid out the next twelve years in terms of my career and a lot of big things that happened in my life were from the decisions I made in those first two or three days.
2: Mm.
1: Yeah, it's really wow. weird like it's that, ca- eh? Yeah,
0: it is. It's funny.
1: Yeah. And um, that's just that's the coffee side of it. But then obviously the music yeah. stuff as well.
0: Yep. Yeah. Okay. So um your band to that
1: yeah so um, melbourne has the tendency to eat up bands that come to try and make it in melbourne <laughs> okay <laughs> we weren't the first right, new zealand band to meet its demise you know and so it only yeah. took about six months for us to realize one musically we would actually all i kind of thought that we were coming into where we left off because that's where my head was but musically yeah, gotcha. the boys had been spending all this time together and they had they kind of wanted to sort of go in this different direction and we were trying to make it work but it really just wasn't and it was slowly turning into arguments now like at that point um a friend of ours a mutual friend of ours kimbra had just been flown over because she had just got her um what is it called development deal and mm-hmm. so she was coming to a couple of the shows that we were still doing at that point and she had been she had been there for a little a little while at that point and they had her up in like her development deal they were basically looking after her in terms of um, uh, accommodation and she was just writing heaps. And so she was in the process of putting her first album together. And so um, because we were friends with her and stuff and we were sort of, the band was falling apart. Long story short is that the new Caledonia basically became her band to turn her recorded songs into a live thing. She was doing solo gigs around Melbourne at that point. They were still recording the album. So I actually, I played on her first album on a couple of tracks and then, at yeah, the same time, we were deciphering everything, all the textures and sounds that they had created turned into a four to five piece band, you know, and so that's yeah. when the the kimber journey started pretty much
0: right, so how far into that did the sing sing sessions start to happen because that that session turned up to many 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 views on youtube and and you know people starting to see your face a little bit and yeah and also she was also starting to get the traction as well which
1: yeah it's which cool man cool. those 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 sing sessions are just awesome to look back on eh? i am so stoked that i was able to be a part of those cuz at the time I suppose YouTube was still, it was still growing, you know, it was, everyone uses it for yeah. that now, but I, back in, they were using it for what's called an EPK, so an electronic press kit. Now you would just do it right. just to put a video online, but they were using them as part yeah. of Kimbra's, her management company, we use them as part of her, um, you know, her CV, I suppose, or what she can do, yeah. it's like a talent reel, I suppose. Mm. And so, for, uh, in terms of me specifically with Kimber, that was actually at the end of my journey, man. I'd played with her for two years at that point. We'd done a few shows around, mm-hmm. um, lots of grinding. We spent ages trying to, first of all, turn her album into a live thing because there were so many different sounds and textures and we had to sort of get new instruments in, so pads and keyboards and stuff that we weren't familiar with and whatnot. And then we started gigging and then she was actually popping off pretty fast, bro. Like things for her was, I was climbing real quick. I just remember there was so much buzz around her then. She was, I was also playing with this band called Miami Horror, a dance band over there and she had like done a spot vocal with them I think the Gautier thing hadn't happened yet, but it was around that time that she was speaking with Wally. So, but -hmm. it was also around that time that um, she was getting really busy, and there were talks of like international tours and stuff. And at that time, my arrangement with my son's mum was that I just I'd had my son full time in New Zealand, but once I moved to Melbourne, he stayed in New Zealand, and I would just come back and forth all the time, or me and my wife would, yep, and or we would fly him over. So he had been flying. He would. He was flying over and visiting us from four years old. So he would do an unaccompanied minor flight. And we would do that like every eight to 10 weeks, basically. Either I go there or he come here. And um, I just remember saying to my wife, I was like, I can't do this because if I go away on tour, I can't be reliable on the times that I have him. I just saw the writing on the wall straight away. And obviously every musician has to make that decision as a parent. It's just unfortunately one of these things that we have to wrestle with, eh, but I just knew that I wasn't the guy to just go just go and do my thing when um when that was still there. So um so yeah at that point I'd been doing the espresso bar working for my um bosses at that point for about three years. And I was also getting itchy feet there. And so there was a crossroads where Kimber was taking off and I had just said to my bosses, um, look, I'm I'm looking at doing something different now. And they 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 basically uh, gave me a proposition they said do you want to do a place with us do you want to set up an espresso and we can go on equal and i was like oh oh well, yeah that would be awesome actually because i'd ran this place for three and a half years now and, and and our my relationship with them had grown we were sort of more peers than sort of that boss employee thing and um and they saw, obviously saw some potential too and i definitely knew that it was good um locking into them and so i saw the end of the Kimber phase, The phase. Um, the right timing because it was the start of my first business as well literally within a couple of months of each other bro so i got to really enjoy setting up this new place with them and then i um you know i the the, the deal was is that i was going to run it it was it was led by me they were going to be a little bit more in the background and so it was um a necessary decision but it was a friggin hard pill to swallow bro like i watched kimber go on to do jay leno let him in my bro stevie came in stevie Cat jr who you're probably yep. familiar with as well yep. and so as awesome and stoked I was that he was filling or that he you know, it was um continuing on the gig and, and in my opinion doing it a lot better as well. They changed their style at that point and I think it suited her a lot better. So I can actually say that that um I think that Stevie played with her the way that they headed probably a lot more suited to what um compared to what I would have done with the way that they were heading. So, the way that I was playing with her suited that stuff like the sing sing style as a whole different sound. Mm-hmm. And um so yeah, even though it was a necessary decision, it was definitely a hard one, but um, at the same token, I was able to sort of dig into that business side of life and be consistent for my son as well, which like I said, was pretty much the the whole point for me.
0: When did you start doing the um, YouTube channel and the, the play alongs and when did your online presence sort of start and start to build?
1: Right then, bro, because right, that's then, basically why that's I started it. doing it. So okay. there's three things that came out of um, me not playing with Kimber anymore and setting up the business. One was that I couldn't tour, but I still needed an outlet for drumming. Um, two, I wanted to get better at shedding. I wanted to get better at um, chops, and I was really getting into those sort of – I basically, around that time, I sort of fell into that whole gospel thing. I started looking at it just before I left New Zealand, but really went dig, I, I went deep on it um, when I arrived in Melbourne – and so that was something that I wanted to get into. And three, um, I need projects. I need things to keep me busy. Yep. And so the first medley that I did was a Meshuggah one. And that's because that was that was more of an ego thing. My my guitarist mate said to me, um, I said to him, I was like, man, it'd be cool if someone did a video of all, all of Thomas Hark's parts, like <laughs> uh, their favorite parts. And then my yeah. guitarist mate was like, um, no one can do that, bro. It's Thomas yeah. Hark. and it's funny eh? because that's literally (laughs) exactly the same way that my tool tribute started because me and my guitarist friend back then someone had said to us that no one could learn tool and then that afternoon we learned eulogy and then we started we set up a whole tool tribute so it's funny how like (laughs) this little type of like resistance or someone pushing back and sort of the whole thing yeah and so like when my friend had said that no one could learn thomas hark parts that was all i needed to hear and i spent the next three months um writing and editing and comping together all of my favorite parts of his, and then went into the studio. So three phase studios in Melbourne and spent, it took me 12 takes to play that medley in a single take. It's 10 and a half minutes long. And, um, 12 takes bro because I wasn't prepared to let any blemishes get through Yeah, um, and even at the end of that take I throw the sticks up because it's been such a long day at that point <laughs> and I'm like fuck I'm so over this shit <laughs> and I didn't listen to my sugar for months after that point but yeah. yeah so that the online presence in those videos started because I just couldn't tour anymore man but I still needed my outlet and then yeah. at the same token I set up Drummers Summit Melbourne as well and that was just yeah. an outlet for me to um, basically have a platform to one create a community because I like being around drummers and being like part of um, that conversation with drummers. And then two, I just wanted to steal everyone's chops. <laughs> <laughs> and who, who like was bro, I was Googling Melbourne drummers and I yeah. was finding names and I was sending them messages and I was like, hey man, I've got this thing called DSM going. And it was nothing at that point. I was like, do you want to come down and have a shed? And I would play instrumental tracks in the room, just R&B stuff, and then yep. just trade fours, which is what I was just copying from the gospel guys.
0: Yep. And who who were some of those cats that were? Um, on that well, drum summer. So
1: first and foremost, when Stevie was um, not touring, um, he would come and do it with, him, with me because he and I um, were deep into the gospel thing, man. I showed him that Aaron Spears Usher clip. That was the first gospel clip that he ever saw. And he and I right. were just like deep after that. We we're sending each other videos and bro, have you seen this triplet Phil and all this sort of stuff <laughs> and just being nerds. And so yeah, most of the sheds that I did, Stevie would come along if he was local, but then it was guys like Troy Wright, so you know up in yep. Brisbane, yep. oh sorry up in the Goldies. Um, who else? Uh, and he, he would have been oh, playing dude, with mate. He would have been playing with Pliny at that stage, or: or... It, was, it was just before the Pliny thing. Just, it was when yeah. he had been asked to join animals as leaders.
0: Oh, right. I didn't you know, know about that. that I didn't know that. No.:
1: Yeah, bro. yeah. Troy wow. got offered the gig before Matt Gasker.:
0: Is that right?
1: Yeah, wow. and but then he had visa issues. Oh, no way. Yeah, bro, yeah. So that was around that time, and then he went on to do the Pliny thing anyway, and now he's set up yep. Troy's awesome, spectacular drum school. Yep. So he's crushing it. Yep. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yep. And then, yeah, other guys like Dan Mayo, who now plays with Eka Vandal, who's someone yep. who I found. Actually, I um, yeah, at, this is before I was even playing with Eka, but I found him online, got him to come in. Um Rob Brands, Ben Ellingworth, Dan Kirby. Yep. Um, yeah, all the bros, man. Like yeah. anyone, eh? It was funny. Yeah. I was just Googling names of drummers and just saying, come and shed with me. Yeah. And so I do it every Sunday. i got a discount through the rehearsal space. Um, I, I asked everyone, put in a $10 koha, and we just give that back to the three phase. Um, I set up a drum community where I was taking photos of everyone's drum kits and introducing them through the socials, the drummers. I was so you Every drummer that came through, I would basically profile them, oh, cool. take photos, videos, and then I would share that content throughout the week until the next shed. And I, I just did my best to try and build up the, the profile and share the content and boost the drummers as much as possible. Mm-hmm. I very rarely showed myself on it. I didn't even really um, sort of... Even like when I would say who's shedding this week, I'd sort of either not put my name on or I'd put it on the bottom of the rung or something. Obviously, people knew it was me, but I was really trying to not make it about me. I was trying to make it more about the community. Yep. But like I say, it was just an outlet, much like the um, the YouTube videos. It was just an outlet for me to stay busy, bro, and keep pushing the craft, you know, while I was being responsible. <laughs>
2: yeah. <Karen.
0: laughs> yeah, that's really cool. Um, All right, man. So your profile starting to build, were you – I mean, obviously you're aware of your – the world is aware of your um, amazing right foot. Um, <laughs> I think most drummers uh, will probably know about that and that's certainly your um, – I'm not going to say claim to fame because that's, that's a bit of a wanky sort of saying. I don't like saying that because I can't think of something <laughs> else. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's fine. Yeah. So um, how were you – starting to cope with all that attention that's starting to to come your way with with that kind of stuff. Cause it was quite a rapid build, wasn't
1: it? Yeah, it was. And so like at that time when I was still gigging and doing the um so with the Kimber and the um Miami horror and the gigs and stuff, the profile as a like a semi professional drummer was starting to build. So I was starting to experience that. So endorsements and things like that. Yeah. But it's still just on that sort of touring and gigging level, you know? Yep um and then when uh i started playing with Eka vandal played with her basically same deal she had a bunch of songs she needed to put a band together i was sort of becoming the setup guy yep, yep. <laughs> did the same thing for miami horror as well and um just when things get too big i sort of got a bail so same thing with I played with her for two years she was going really well had some cool stuff with her man went to canada um did uh yeah just um a b- bunch of great things Went around australia a bunch of times mm. and opened up for prodigy um at, at the what is it um the the big the big top is that what it is in sydney the the by the bridge Oh, luna big park
0: there yeah. luna park
1: yeah luna yeah. Yeah, Luna Park. Yeah, that's the one. Um, So, yeah, got to do some cool stuff with her. And then once again was just realizing that she was getting too busy. And my daughter was quite young then, and she was just getting a bit sad every time I got on the plane on a Friday afternoon to go to Canberra or whatever, and Mm. it was a bit rough. So, once again, decided to sort of stop doing the gigging thing and whatnot, and then um, started posting. So, the response to that for me was just uh, Instagram was a thing by that point. So, Mm -hmm. I started just sharing clips of me rehearsing and practicing uh, what I was working on at the time. And I'd already started messing around with the technique that I was working on. Mm-hmm. Um, I was starting to get some traction on it, but I started to share it with the world. And and yeah, bro, I ramped up real quick, eh? Like the the socials, I think it was sort of in the early days of Instagram too. So the algorithms were a lot more in your favor. It's a lot harder to get that sort of growth now because right. everyone's on the platform. Yep. But um, we're talking like probably four or five years ago now, yep. I suppose, or maybe four, yeah, around there. Yeah. And the growth happened real quick. And in answer to your question, man, initially it was really exciting because so many people were commenting and all my companies were now taking even more of an interest in me and Mm. they were being a lot more like, hey, bro, how are you going, you know? And Mm. do you want to try this out or can we send you that? And Mm. I'm like, oh, this is really cool. And they were sharing my content online as well, which meant they were sending a lot more followers my way too. So the curve was really ramping up even higher. But then it started to like, Like at a certain point, it got pretty um, noisy, to be honest, and I started to not cope with it very well. And um, I started to find it all. I started to get my first taste of trolls and negative feedback loops, and Mm. um, just the whole the every time the the endorphin thing as well. And it started to actually affect the way that I was playing my drums because I was thinking about every time I'd sit behind the kit, I was thinking about content, and Mm. I'd never experienced that before. I used to just get on and play. And I used to film what I played, and if I liked it, then sweet and then it got to a point where I was where I was so dialed in with how I was presenting my content that every time I sat behind the kit, it was about the content, and I started to not like that, and so my um, my I suppose my pushback to that was that I actually deleted all my content one day, I just sort of deleted everything on my page, and I left Instagram for about two months and didn't mm-hmm. actually yeah i just sort of put up a thing like like everyone does a big dramatic thing saying i'll be right back <laughs> oh, yeah. but i deleted yeah. all my content too because i actually got sick of how many people were all these pages that sort of take your content and don't credit you or anything and uh, right. you know and because the foot was just making like it was just going crazy bro um i just got overseeing it eh? i got overseeing my content i got overseeing my videos and just sort of got over the whole thing really so my push there's always there's always two parts to me there's the 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 right conservative side and then there's this left sort of fuck the system sort of side as well. <laughs> and so that side kicked in. And um yeah. I even had my thing, my thumb over the delete button a few times, but my wife's always the voice of reason and she's like, don't burn the bridge. You know, you've you've done really well with it. Just hold on to it. Just don't do it for a while, but just hold on to it. And so then I did this thing for a bit where I was trying to like show that content isn't worth anything. So I only had 12 posts on my page at any given time. So if I posted a post, I deleted the 13th. And I just, I was just trying to mess with it. And at the same token, I was completely killing my Instagram page because it's pretty much around then that my followers stopped and my comments and stuff stopped because Instagram's algorithms pick up on trends of deleting content or all those sorts of things. And it um, it actually starts to work against you at that point. So I basically did like the self-sabotage. I threw a grenade right in the middle of it. (laughs) And to be honest, man, that was my saving grace because – through that period the noise dialed down and it was still obviously because of the, the numbers on my page it still had there was still a lot of noise but it was way more manageable and, and um it was the sort of noise that i preferred um the trolls had stopped because i was calling them out of my stories all the time and just sort of just being a real arsehole about it all yeah. <laughs> if i look back on it i'm mm. uh, just trying to deal with it i suppose but um then it got to this level where it's sort of been for the last year or year and a half where it's real manageable now, man, and I really enjoy it again because it's for me. It's just like I just do my thing. I don't, um, I don't do anything. There's no agenda behind my page. It's just like you either dig it or you don't. Sometimes it's coffee. Sometimes it's drums. Sometimes you'll see me take a photo doing some exercise.
2: Mm.
1: And um, but it took a long time for me to wrestle with Fortish, sort of shaping it to where it is now, where I enjoy it again.
2: Mm. Yeah,
1: it's a pretty powerful thing, though, bro. I mean, Instagram's the whole reason that I got on drumio, You know, I
0: know, yeah, yeah, which is
1: crazy when you yeah. think about it. Mm. You know, so let's like their whole, yeah.
0: Let's talk about that then. So, how did, um, for people that don't know, Drumio is a, um, well, yeah, I'll let, I'll let you explain what Drumio is. Yeah. So, Drumio,
1: what it stands for is Drum Education Online, and it is basically the world's largest online drum education platform. So, it's the way I sort of see it is it sort of picks up where Modern Drummer, the print magazine, left off when that sort of, when print sort of died out. Mm. Um, It's funny. I do remember seeing Jared Folk in the early days of his attempts of Drumio back in the day where it was free free drum lessons online. I'm talking like in uh, 08. Yep. I remember seeing this 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 dude playing drums and talking about rock grooves and stuff. Mm. And you know, it was like 240p quality video quality (laughs) and stuff. You know, and it would take ages to download and whatnot. I was like, who is this dude? Yeah. But then anyway, yeah. Drumio, meanwhile, over the last ten years, becomes this mega. Um Online drum platform to the point where drummers actively want to go on it now, like that that studio that you see and those panels behind it, it's such an iconic thing for drummers, you'll know this, you yep. know all these drummers that, that go so go go through that room and sit down and do their lessons and stuff. so I had watched a ton of drumio content before I never even considered ever going on drumio it didn't even it wouldn't even come into my universe, you know um I had started doing drum clinics at that point because. I wasn't touring with my bands and because the Instagram was going so well, my companies asked it if I would start doing the the clinic thing and the drum festival thing. And that Mm. was cool because I got to nerd out about drums again, which was fun and it was sort of more on my terms. I could get up and perform and make it more about the drums anyway, which was was what I felt like doing at the time. Mm -hmm. And it's low commitment because the gigs are during the day. There's not a lot of them. It's never a big deal, you know? Mm -hmm. And so when – uh, It was a Friday evening and I was at a fish and chip shop with my old man. He was over from New Zealand. And I just see an email come through from a Jared Falk. It's like, hey, man, I'm Jared Falk. I'm the CEO of Dromeo. I've been watching you for a while now. I really like your content. Um, I'd love for you to come on and do a live lesson. I'd love to bring you over. Are you interested? And uh, it's funny, like your parents are always so blindly proud of you. I go, oh, damn, I was trying to tell him how exciting this was. And he's like, oh, yeah. Yeah, of course. Like to him, it was like no big thing because they just always have blind faith in you. <laughs> but I was like, no, nah, I need someone here that really understands the gravity of this. <laughs> um, and I didn't actually reply to him for like two or three days, man. <clears throat> I left it sitting there. And when I replied to him, I actually said I couldn't do it, bro. I actually said um, that I have to put it on the back burner because at the time, a friend of ours um, was really sick. And she it, wa- it wasn't looking too good, to be honest. And so she was the partner of another good friend of mine. They were both good friends of ours and the writing was on the wall in some respects. And so I just said to Jared, look, to be honest, bro, I can't really leave now. This is going on and whatever happens from this situation, there's going to be an aftermath and I don't want to be um I don't want to be not present for that mentally yep. or even physically. So yep. thanks bro, but I think I better just sort of um not right now. And to be honest, it was about a good year before I actually had a conversation with Jared again, I think. I was going for a run one day, and this thing, this 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 um, friend of mine and, and her partner and stuff, this situation had happened, and the, the, the events had played out, and it sort of had, had died down by that point, and I was going for a run that day, and I, I got to like 15 or 20Ks or something. I was doing big, long runs at that time, and the endorphins kicked in, and this question just hit me out. It's like, why didn't I do Drumeo? Just yeah. hit me, bro. Like big, bold letters just smacked me in the face. Like, why the hell didn't you do Drumeo? And so when I got back from um, the run, I emailed Jared and I said, hey, man, is that office still there? And he said, yes. And I said, cool, man, give me four months. Give me four months and I'll give you everything I've got. And I just went into like rocky mode, bro. I was getting up at 4 or 30 every single morning and I would go down to my roastery and all my pads. I started writing all my curriculum out because you basically need to, you go in and you do the live lesson, which yeah. is a 45 minute performance from A to Z with interviews, like it's a single take thing. Mm. So you start off with a song, he interviews you, play another song, then you do like partial partial parts to a course, I suppose. Yep. And then you do a song and you're out. And what that's supposed to be on YouTube is basically the carrot that gets the student in to subscribe to Drumio, and then they can access the actual courses that I filmed for them as well. Yep. So I did two days of filming for them. So with that in mind, I actually had to have content for them to film. And so I had to kind of go back into my memory banks and figure out well, how did I get the skills that I've got now and what was the methods that I used and um, and quite genuinely figure out my approach. And when I put it down pen to paper, I realized that there wasn't actually just a product of my personality. It was a very systematic thing that I did. And, and it's actually quite basic, really. It's not anything new. It's just the way that my brain sort of interpreted what I wanted to gain. And I wrote all my curriculum out. And then I spent the next four months, bro, every single morning. I'd get up at 4.30. I'd go down to my coffee roaster. I'd have two espressos. And then I would do two and a half hours on the pads, just the pads, not acoustic kit or not an e-kit. And then I would go home, um, wake my family up, send my daughter to school, go back to the roastery, do my work day, maybe get half an hour on the kitten two or three nights a week and then do the family thing. And then as time got closer and closer, um, you know, I would actually start doing things like um, talking to a camera, pretend that I was talking and actually Mm. verbalizing the information that I was Mm -hmm. trying to get across because I was doing that whole visualization thing where – it wasn't just in my head now I was now sort of starting to verbalize and convey message uh, uh, information like permutations and um, and you know how to get your hands to talk to your feet and how to do linear and all the things that I was trying to do and so by the time I got there bro I was so um, muscle memory or just memory in general I was just banking on the fact that if everything turned to shit because the environment is so foreign to me sitting in a studio five HD cameras on you in the Drumeo studio and you can feel the energy in there. Mm. I'm also just off a plane jet lag, 13 Mm. hour flight. Mm. I was just banking on the fact that the muscle memory for all that work that I'd done would still be there. And, um, and ultimately it did man. So the live lesson went like that. I did everything I wanted to be able to do. I was running on about two hours sleep because I had real bad jet lag. Um, they were the loveliest crew in the world, man. There's a team of about 40 people at Drumeo full-time workers. Okay. Uh, it's a real powerhouse like that, that their whole operation is real awesome. Mm. They look after the artists really well. So they flew me and my family out. We stayed there for two nights in Vancouver. And then we basically, that was the first two nights of what turned into a three and a half week trip for me and my family down the West coast of the U S Okay. And it was an amazing experience, bro. Just, um, yeah. it's still quite surreal to be honest to, th- to think about it. Um, it was a couple of years ago now, and sometimes people tag me in the content still, and mm. I'll get emails about it and stuff. And it's just like, fuck, I'm just so grateful for the experience, man. And also the grind that I put in for it. Like, that was a real um, woodshedding period for me in terms of how to deliver information and speak and convey the ideas that I have as a player and stuff and mm. feel confident in the delivery of that, you know?
0: Yeah. yeah. And, and yeah, and that stuff's still popping up all the time. It, it still, it still yeah. pops up and it always will. And, and um, I think there was something that popped up not too long ago and it was was something on your foot. And I think I was one of those people that yeah. tagged you.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, I get those. Yeah, they, and drumio keep recycling the content, which is cool. That's and great. Yeah. It's, t- it's funny, man. I look back on it now already. Like some of it's a little bit naff, the way that I talk and stuff. But ultimately I'm really proud of it, bro, and that's the main thing. I just wanted to be proud of it, you know?
2: Yeah.
0: Um yeah. you've you know, you've done some other um uh, uh clinics and um like drummer weekends and that kind of thing. How how have you dealt with that pressure? Because, you know, as you know, as well as drummers being peers and you know, there's a whole bunch that really dig it, um us drummers can be wankers too and assholes and really judgmental and <laughs> it's like any any uh any one sort of group of musicians altogether, you're always gonna get those um people out there that think they can do it better and and we'll let you know and that kind of thing. So how did you deal with that, with that pressure of, you know, sort of playing live to a room full of drummers?
1: Well, I kind of think that the Instagram, the way that that went, probably set me up pretty well for it because it is, um, a concentrated room of drummers as well. And everyone's really honest online. So if they don't like you, they just tell you. And so it actually got me at thick skin pretty quick. Okay. Um, The difference between a clinic and instagram is that you're doing it live and so you don't have the luxury of editing and deleting and stuff i only ever used my phone anyway but i still got to choose where the clip started and where it ended you know yeah, right okay um so the only thing so when i I think my mindset's always been one i've always been really proud of what i can do and not worried too much about what i can't do because what i can't do is just a matter of time if i choose yep and then two um i've got this thing where if people say hey man we want you to come and do this clinic. You're going to be in between Don Familara and Benny Greb. Could you do a 45-minute workshop performance? If they are asking me that, they obviously believe I can do it. Yeah. So then all I have to do is put the work in. So imposter syndrome and all these things always happen, man, because it's just the nature of the beast when you're a creative. Yep. But the whole point of getting better is through the path of doubting yourself. you know. Yep. Um, and so I – but I've done it. I've done enough things in my life to know now that when I commit to something I just know that I'm going to finish it rain um hail or shine like I will just do it at yeah. the, you know at the expense of sleep at the expense of anything I'm the if same. I say I'm going to do oh, it exactly yeah, yeah yeah well, you know exactly what I mean yeah, there. like totally. if I say I'm going to do it then it will just happen so but when it comes to the performance aspect of it um it's about backing what you can do like I say not worrying about what you can't but then also for me personally I need to actually Uh, connect to the to the the moment i just can't get up and just play i need to have a reason to play there so every time i do something um i create a narrative in my head about why i'm there and i almost tell a story so I do a lot of talking when I do workshops because I want to get more than just the playing across Mm -hmm. I also want to talk about things like multitasking being a young parent being a business owner and then still having a professional career Mm -hmm. basically just trying to teach people that you actually can have your cake and eat it too if you're willing to work your ass off and not be precious about things at times because I think either musicians get too caught up in being just musicians or workers think they can't do music because they're workers where I'm sitting there going fuck that you can actually be both, you know, like yeah. you can actually do both. You might have to work a little bit harder, get up a little bit earlier, run a little bit longer, yep. but you can do it. Yep. And so I like to share that message. And so it's a balance between playing and performing and then just leaning into your strengths, man. I'm not going to try a left foot clave at my drum clinics, I'll tell you that much, but I will <laughs> do the things that I can do. And I know I can do, you yeah. know, really well. Yeah. And then um And then just play them as confident as possible, bro. Yeah. And there's a sense of pride that comes with them as well, man, because your companies are asking you to represent them, and that's really that's a really cool feeling. And I don't take that um, lightly either. Mm. Uh, you know, every company that's asked me to do those things, I'm real honoured that they want me to do that for their brand. You know, it's really cool.
0: Yeah, you mentioned earlier Dom Fermilaro. Now, yeah, um, the first two drum clinics I ever saw were Dom Fermilaro down in Wellington. Oh yeah. Ah, uh, this would have been yeah early nineties, and um. Talk about setting a benchmark for future drum clinics. Every yeah, drum bro. clinic I went to after that, you think of Dom Fermilaro and just the way—totally pro. Oh man, like he's just—he's. I dom. was after him.
2: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like, I can't yeah. play
1: Dom like—not
2: just, like, not just so much the, the playing,
0: ball
1: of energy.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, how do you present yourself like Dom? Like, you, hard. <laughs> just you know, you take the you take the playing aside, um. Amazing player that he is, but yeah, just the way that he presents himself, and like you said, the ball of energy, and you just hooked yeah, on man. the guy. You know, he's just yeah, yeah, very, very. He's contagious. such a great
1: ambassador for the instrument. You know, yeah. like drums as an instrument owes Dom a lot because his whole career he's been singing his praises and getting, not only just getting students onto the drums but keeping them on the drums. Yep. Anyone that does that. That's why I have a lot of respect for Jared, man. Not not only has he built an empire, but the guy's committed to getting people to start playing the drums and then continue playing the drums. That's how you keep this industry going, is that you keep people on the damn instrument, you know? Yeah.
0: I don't know if you've seen some of the stuff on, you know, there's some um, fairly local uh, drummer Facebook groups and there's a little... I've seen it all, bro. You've seen it all, yeah. There's those little I've little, seen it all. little factions that that go after Jared. And I know uh,
1: those people too, bro. And yeah. I'm embarrassed to even bloody. I used to be in those forums, and I left them a long time ago because yep. I've I've even DM'd some of these guys saying, "You guys, some of you guys are fucking teachers, man. And you should <laughs> yeah, be actually no. ashamed that you're even having this conversation in a public platform."
2: Yeah,
1: I yep. think it's fucking. I think, yeah, I've got no time for it, bro. Yeah, I don't yeah, have yeah. any time for like troll pages. I don't. I mean, there's always it's always cool to have a good laugh. Yeah, but that's always fine. But to be to, to do those sorts of things, which uh, we don't even have to go into, into details no. on it. But, yeah, I'm very aware of it, but yep. I'm not down with it, bro. And cool. I've actually, like I say, I've, I've hit up a couple of people about it too.
2: Yeah,
1: Yeah. Yep. I mean, people bag out Casey Cooper, right? Casey Cooper, the Pearl drummer. Yep. Whereas, like, and so you'll even hear drummers or quite um, uh, established professional drummers who will even call this kid out, right? And I'm sitting there going, guess what? When my son was 13 years old, guess who was inspiring him to play the drums? That kid that was on that massive pearl kit who had spinning friggin' drumsticks, who was playing rad cover songs. Yeah. It wasn't you, bro, that was sitting there saying that, like, (laughs) sit on your pad for the first three years and you're not holding the stick properly and all this sort of shit. It was the guy. It was the kid. Like, you cannot begrudge someone who inspires someone else. That mission accomplished, bro, you know? So I don't have any – uh, yeah, uh, I've got a real strong feeling about those things, and no ill will to any of those those cats, you know.
0: Yeah, that's cool, man. Yeah, that's good. Um, so you're you're completely self-taught. Yeah, um, but you also got—I uh, well, don't know how many lessons you got with um, Darren Frugia down in Melbourne.
1: Yeah, yeah, bro, yeah. I got two. Yeah, oh, cool! It was awesome.
0: Yeah, man, what a guy, eh? Yeah. What a guy. Yeah, he's a
1: dude, man. Yeah, yeah right. we've crossed paths a bit over the years just through the scene and stuff. And yep. um, it was actually at one of the drum festivals where I wanted to get a lesson with a drummer named Shit Andy Gander. Yep. I yep. saw Andy Gander play at the last festival I did, and I'd never seen a player like that. And I Like, not in Australia. I didn't even know because, man, he was basically, I was sitting there going, shit, he'd give Vinny a run for his money, man. Yeah, he's I that hadn't guy. seen a player like Andy Yeah, he's before. that guy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I went up to him afterwards and I was like, Jesus, dude, that was an absolute pleasure to watch you play. Like you command your instrument. It was just like same thing as we were talking about with Darren, just real centered on the, on the throne,
2: yeah,
1: full control, just owning the whole thing, looks totally relaxed the whole time. And he was mm. real humble too, man. He's like, oh, man, that was really bad. And he was, did that whole thing. And I was like, yeah. bro, come on, bro. <laughs> and I said to him, I was like, I'd love to get some lessons from you, man. And he goes, oh, yeah, cool. Well, I'm based in Hong Kong. Um, when I'm back next, we can do some lessons. And I said, great. Yep. And we kept in touch. But um long story short is he got sick over there and he couldn't come over for the trip that we had scheduled a lesson mm. on. And I said, Oh, could you recommend someone? And he said, yeah, man, go to Darren. And I yep. was like, great. So I just took it as advice and I messaged Darren saying Darren, cause Darren and I had actually met in passing at that same festival. Yeah. Um, Darren wasn't playing. He was just um, out the back. I think he was catching up with Andy, to be honest. Mm. And, I had said Andy had recommended you, and um, would you uh, are you available for lessons? And he was like, oh, he did that whole thing, like, oh, I don't know what I can teach you, and blah blah blah. And I was like, oh, don't give me that, man. Like, <laughs> I'm, you know, I like, I basically went to him because I wanted to tidy up my hands, pretty much. There was no real pressing issue. I just wanted to get more out of my hands. I wanted to get because I'm self-taught. It's not so much that there's I know there is bad habits in there, but it was more like I don't know how I can make myself better without talking to someone um, who is better, you know, it's that whole thing. And so um, I talked to Brody Simpson about some of this stuff as well. And um, yeah, went and sat down with Darren and I was kind of like hoping that Darren would become over time, a bit of a mentor for me. And Mm. and it was cool because he was down with that. It was heading that way by the second lesson. But then just after that, the COVID thing happened, bro. And then I decided to move back to New Zealand anyway. But what I was wanting from, that that um those lessons with Darren he totally gave me and I know that it would have become a lot more too in time because I was at that point in my playing where I was really happy to sort of give myself over to someone I suppose. Yeah. Which took a long time for me to be okay with <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> yeah. And I just wanted to sort of get someone else's opinion on my playing. None of that blow ass shit. Just more like yep. just straight up man. Just 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 like help me, you know, help mm. me as a person. Mm. You know? Mm. And he was really like that. So it was great. He's a great player, man.
0: He is. He sure is. Talking about your right foot, I remember seeing some videos. Um, you were playing some. You were playing pearl drums at that stage, and you were you were using pearl eliminator pedals. And the pearl mm-hmm. elimina- eliminator pedals have that removable plate, you know. With the yep. yep. Your father made up some custom plates, didn't he, for those pedals?
1: Yeah, because yeah. I mean, the Eliminator, I got my first Eliminator when I was 19 years old, the first year that they released them. So it's forever been one of my favorites. Yep. I mean, just just as a tangent, my top three are the Eliminator, the Jojo pedal, so the Sonor Jojo, yep. and um, and now the FP9 as well with with Yamaha. So yep. the, the Redline has been in my, oh, sorry, the Eliminator has been in my, my drumming career, most of it, to be honest. And mm-hmm. the problem is, is that I always found the grips to be a little bit intrusive. And so I would take them out a lot. Yep. But when I would take them out, grit would get in the holes because yep. there's a little bit of a gap between the plate and the base right. and uh, or the footboard. And so I was telling my dad this, and he's like, oh, I'll just make you a plate. Just tell me the, the – because my dad's an engineer in Hastings, and he's yeah. like, I'll just make you a plate. And I was like, oh, cool. So he made me two, and he put the rumble gloves on. He laser-etched the rumble gloves on one, and then hmm. he got my name, Stan laser etched on the other one and I was like, Oh, that's cool. And I used them at that drum festival, yeah. the Sydney one. That was yeah. the first time I used them.
2: Yeah.
1: Um and I put up a post about them just saying, Oh sweet. My old man made me these. I've been wanting these for a while now. Love the pedal. Can do without the grips. This is perfect. And um and bro, I just got inundated for requests for these damn plates. Hey. Eh? Yeah, yeah. And so I sent like bro, I reckon I got in that first day, two hundred messages about those plates. Yeah. Well, like, no shit.
2: Yeah.
1: And I um and I wrote him, oh, so everyone was like, oh, where can I buy these? Where can I buy these? Can I get them? Blah, blah, blah. And so I messaged my old man and I said, hey, can I get some more of those plates made? And he's like, yeah, how many? And I was like, I don't know. I reckon like 200. <laughs> and he's like, oh, shit, okay, sweet. And so, yeah, he he got them made. And because he's an engineer, he got a good price. And yeah. um, I actually don't even think he even got, he even charged me in the end. But he sent the plates over. He'd bored out the holes so the screw was flushed to the to the plate and he um Smooth the edges out as well, as well. so they, mm. they're as legit as they could be mm. for a third-party um, addition to the pedal and then yeah I just put a post up and one by one bro I sold them all
2: that's great man <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah it was great I sold like heaps to people heaps in the US a few in Australia lots in the UK as well um, I've still got a couple as well I've got maybe three or four left there because I'm never going to get them made again people have asked me for the schematics since man like the actual um <laughs> the cad and I'm like, nah, I the cat. Yeah, yeah. And then yeah. Pearl even ended up releasing a a version, like a dialed back version of the Eliminator without the grips on anyway. Really? Because wow. they, they, they were tagged in so many posts. Of, yeah. Of the, like, they knew about them because I was playing Pearl at the time and my rapper told me that they were really interested in it and thought it was cool. Wow. So there you go. That's really funny, cool. eh?
0: Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah.
1: That's why I kept them too because this, they, that, like, that was a little cool little piece of time as well a little period a little hustle you know
0: <laughs> yeah that no, was cool i remember following that that sort of because like i said i was at that um sydney thing and you, you were talking about them and then i did see those videos come up and could see people asking yeah. for them yeah, it was really cool that's why i yeah, mentioned it yeah yeah. Hard uh, out, bro. yeah man um you know another thing i used to like watching um you would set up in the rumble coffee building and you, you know you could see the sacks of Coffee around the place, but just the sound of that room. I just know the, the reverb oh, it was awesome, eh? And that was like off I your, still off your iPhone, eh?
1: Yep, yep. So I yep. never used mics, and so that was back yep. then. It was like an iPhone Seven, I think. It would clip a yep. little bit, but mm. yeah, it was just a big brick room with um, a couple of wooden walls that we put in.
2: Yeah,
1: um, two hundred square meter warehouse essentially.
2: Yeah,
1: with no neighbours, bro. So yeah, I yeah. could just go, and it just sounded real great in there, eh? I still get people going to me. Oh, I miss the reverb. It's so funny because like. I got really over not only playing my drums there, but seeing my drums in there online. So I'm really Um, loving the change, even just because for me, it's aesthetically, (laughs) it just looks different and I'm just in a new buzz anyway. Um, But, yeah, people miss the reverb, it seems.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. All right, man. So, yeah, so we things are starting to sort of wind up a little bit in Australia now and, and, you know, moving back to New Zealand and then the whole sort of COVID thing happened and, and then like you said you ended up moving home. Um yeah let's talk about the call from from Shapeshifter. Cause you hadn't you hadn't yeah. been you hadn't been in town very long. You don't you'd only just kind of just got back. Um how did yeah. that how did that come about? And um yeah just just mention that first and then I've got some other questions.
1: Yeah, bro. Um, So I got out of quarantine on the 5th of December, and my wife and daughter went into quarantine on the 7th of December. So we flew separately because we have a cat who was quite young. So we wanted to fly her over in between our flights. So I came out on the 5th, my daughter and wife go in on the 7th. So they weren't coming out till the 22nd of December just before Christmas. And meanwhile, my container turns up, I set up the house in mower, get everything relatively sort of going. And then the night that I'm driving back from Auckland after picking them up, I hadn't seen them in five and a half weeks at that point. Um, I get a message on Facebook from Robin, Darren's partner, who I'd met uh, a couple of years earlier at a wedding. And um, and she was like, hey, man, are you um, able for a chat? And I was like, yeah, what's up? And then she called me. I said to Jess, oh, man, Robin's calling me Darren's partner. Uh, sorry, Darren, uh, yeah, Robin wants to chat with me. And she goes, oh, we'll talk to her. And I was like, yeah, I will. So Robin calls and we had pulled over at like one of the BP McDonald's stops there just so I could have a chat. And um, there was a glass window between me and my wife because I went into the next room. And Robin, Robin basically said that Darren had taken a bit of a tumble the day before and they had three shows coming up that were starting in six days' time, the New Year's run, so, so the, the 29th, 30th, and the 31st. And – Would I be able to train up as a backup for Darren in six days over Christmas, basically? Would I be able to learn a 90-minute drum and bass set that's on (laughs) average between 180 and 200 BPM (laughs) of 13 to 14 songs? um, And one of them is like two songs stuck together, which is 16 minutes long. And would I be able to get that together in six days' time? And I was looking at my wife through the window going, Oh, my God, (laughs) this is so hard out because the gravity of what she was saying, but also just like um, I had to say yes as well. There was Mm. no way I couldn't say yes to it. Mm. And um, I just said to her, Robin, whatever you need, man. Um, She goes, we don't know how Darren's going to be when it comes to the gig. We just need to know that you'll be available for um, for backup and we'll just see how he fares through the week. Mm. And I was like, yeah, awesome. No problems, man. I'll do that. And so she goes, cool, their manager will call you tomorrow. Who's Maddie from Concord Dawn. He manages Quarter and and Shapeshifter. Mm -hmm. And so he called me the next morning, which is now the Wednesday, and he's like, okay, bro, um, I can send you a live gig from October. It's an hour 40 long. I can tell you the set list that they're planning on doing, which is 13 of the songs that you'll have to find in that live footage, cut them out. And then I edited that day. I edited together a live set. Yeah. of video and audio. Yeah. And then just from Wednesday through to Sunday, bro. So bearing in mind, Christmas was on the Friday. Hadn't right. seen my family in five weeks. Um And we were still trying to like, like start our life, I suppose. Um, I just saw a big clock in front of my head, a big digital clock counting down and I just started grinding, bro. So I just said to my wife, any moment you need me, come and get me. Any moment yes. you don't need me, I'll be upstairs on the practice pads. And so Every spare moment, I was listening to the set in order and sequence. So from the first song to the last song, I never listened to it out of sequence. So that the ending of every song triggered the memory of the next song kicking yep. in. Um, I basically ran through all the songs loosely, just on the acoustic kit, just jamming to them for the first day, just running through them out one after another, and then back through them again, getting an idea of where, where every song is individually. And then um, that was Thursday at that point. Then we had Christmas Day. We we're having a big lunch at our family, so I went home twice during that lunch to go have an hour on the kit because it was going to be a whole day at families my wife (laughs) let me on the practice pad so i'd nip off the family were really excited too so they were fine with it as well but at that point i was a bit worried that i might have bitten off more than i could chew because it was just so much information bro
2: yeah
1: and i i knew Shapeys, but i hadn't gone deep on them before so it was just like a fucking influx of their music yeah and um and i was watching live versions uh i was watching every time we were sitting in the lounge it was on Spotify, it was like wherever I could listen to what I was and if I could be playing it, I would be. And then it got to Saturday and I hadn't introduced the SBDSX yet because Darren plays an acoustic kit with a rolling pad to the side and he triggers breakbeats for about five songs. Mm-hmm. Sections, he'll just drop a jungle groove in it, right? So that's a yep. whole other kettle of So every song you're changing the patch mm-hmm. and then for some of them you're triggering the jungle grooves. <laughs> and I didn't have an SBDSX, but their sound man's Tiki, Tiki Tana, and he lives here in Papamoa. And so he messaged to say that he could drop off his spare one. So he drops off his spare SPDSX. And at that point, I was 90% ready on the acoustic kit. So I'm ready to bring in another element now, which is the SPDSX, and figure that out. Darren emailed me the backup of their set for the SPDSX. So I get into the SPDSX, boot it up, take it upstairs, and the SPDSX dies on me, bro. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God. Bro, it was Saturday at that point. I had one more day. They were picking me up on Monday morning at 10 in the morning. And I was like, oh, fuck, it's all fucked. And so I scrapped that and went back into working on the material and tightening the bolts and the details of like the like the stops and the starts and the pauses and all that sort of stuff um, and basically worked on that last 10%. And then on Sunday morning, I just bit the bullet and I went to the rock shop in, in Tauranga and they only had one SPDS Expert in the whole of BOP and it was one they had there. And I just bought it because I was like, this isn't just an investment in 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 the gig it's an investment in me i'm i, I don't care so i just did what i had to do bro i bought spd sex and um they're not cheap bro especially over here uh, yeah yeah <laughs> uh, but you know um it was just sort of for the greater good man and that afternoon i got all the um the parts organized and i figured out where he's dropping the beats cuz there were no notes bro I just had to sort of figure it out because Darren was pretty wasted. He sort of needed his downtime, and they hadn't been in this situation before. No one's filled in for Darren since he's been playing in the band. And so, yeah, bro. By Sunday night, it's fair to say that I was ready, and I went to sleep. I actually slept well that night. I was confident, bro. And then the guitar tech picked me up the next morning, and we drove to Gisborne. And the first, so I when I got to Gisborne, they took they had actually booked out a school there for Darren to basically see how he feels. Because he hadn't jumped on the kit since he had um, for about two weeks at that point, I think. And I got to the the school, and you know, I I, I was meeting the band as the guy that could potentially be filling in for Darren. So mm. it was it was a bit weird, bro. Not with Darren, but mm. with everyone, you know, yep. like not with yep. Maddie either or Robin, because they are the ones that called on me. But the band were like, uh, they weren't they weren't um, stink or anything. It was just obviously an odd situation. And so I just went in and I just said, boys. Love your music, man. I've just gone deep on that shit for six days. Just know you don't have to entertain me here, man. I'm just here to make you guys feel good. If Darren's all G, great, bro. I'll just stand beside him, man. And just if he's at any point, he needs me, I'm good to go. Um, But if, if not, if he doesn't need me, that's totally sweet. Just know that I'm only here to help and it's all good. And then from that moment onwards, man, it was just like the most amazing four days with a bunch of incredible people. And I was just there looking after my boy and it was awesome, bro. That's wicked. And I didn't even have to touch the drums once that's the funny thing <laughs> yeah. so the first gig was a little bit hairy he was he, he gassed out a little bit at the start I think he sort of um he realized it's like he just started sort of you could tell that he pushed it a bit hard and me and the drum tech Damien were giving each other the eye it was a little bit like shit that we need to tap him out but he pulled back a bit, a bit a bit and then he sort of got his energy levels right finished out the gig and once he finished that gig I knew he was going to be fine and but all I had to do was sort of stand side stage with my in-ears and in, holding my sticks, just ready, bro. And if he needed me to switch him out, I was good to go. And I was. I was ready. And I just um, just did, did what I had to do. To, to And so it was cool because I found out that um, had I said no, then they would have had to cancel the shows because they didn't have any other choice. Everyone else was gigging. I was the only guy that wasn't gigging because i just arrived in the country. Yeah, right. So that's sort of why they called me, which is great
2: for me. Yeah,
1: but for um sure. But – it was also great too because I said yes and, um, and, yeah. uh, you know, and, and I'm, I'm now the guy that said yes, bro. I'm not yeah, the you're the guy.
0: No. Exactly. I was about to say that. You're, you're that guy. That's yeah. cool, man. That's cool. And yeah, we, an we, we
2: experience,
0: bro. yeah, we, like we spoke before, um, before we recorded about, um, you know, I, I had Darren very early on in the podcast, like episode 12 or whatever it was. Mm. And, uh, that was a funny story because I'd sent um, when I first started the podcast, I was sending messages out to people and just to see, just random, just chucking it out there, you know. Got to give it a crack. Yeah. And uh, yeah. three o'clock in the morning, Saturday morning, um, I get a message come up on my phone and it was Darren. Yeah, bro, <laughs> that'd be great, man. You know, look, we're we're pl- we're playing tonight. You know, blah, because blah. we had. Um, I knew that they were coming into town and I was kind of thinking, you know, maybe, you know, if, if he gets in touch, we could sort of meet up and have a chat, you know, and then that, yeah. that idea sort of died away. And then when I got this message at three in the morning and he says, Hey, yep, come along, I'll put you on the door. Um, <laughs> and, and I just rocked up there and, and, uh, I met him before, uh, before the band played, we went down to this room and, and had the chat. And then, um, I got to stand stand side stage and, and watch him play and, and watch him play. And,
2: yeah, such an incredible so. drummer,
0: powerhouse man. And yeah, yeah, yeah. We were talking before about yeah, you're right. He's yeah. got that center, and it, it's like his body and his core doesn't move. It's just no, just arms of power yeah. and. It's talk. a pleasure to
1: watch, but it's really inspiring yeah. to watch his posture when he plays. Yep. yep. And it's like I I even think about it when I'm playing, and it's even made me sort of readdress some of the things. It's just about centering yourself, eh, and letting you yeah. letting the arms do the work, and just just staying grounded. eh?
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: And then a couple of months yeah. later, because I, I got to meet the other guys in the band that night too um i had sam on the podcast
1: yeah i listened to sam's one that's great
0: yeah awesome
1: yeah because i was gonna say bro like that's the other thing about that band is that i was so grateful to immerse myself in their music too because they're fucking good songwriters bro and i got yeah. to listen to all the new stuff and i was and i got to spend time with all of them and they're all just the nicest dudes man incredible musicians mm. um and it was just like the experience Far outweighed anything else, man. Just being able to immerse myself in that scene for a bit with such great people, hang out with Tiki and Diggy and Sam and, and, you know, Dan and all the boys. It was just, I just, I'm just really grateful, man, for the opportunity, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Really cool. Um, Yeah, bro. Yeah, so like something else on Darren too, and and there's a, I asked you a little bit earlier to choose a song, um, which we're going to play a little bit later and, and chat about, and it's, it's a song that that Darren played on but also one of my favorite re- recordings and what i love listening to i love listening to holly smith's long player album
1: same and, bro that start that intro play- yes. the, the the hats and the open snare yeah just
0: <laughs> just just wicked hang on <laughs> i've got i i got <laughs>
1: Boom, 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 Oh, bro. I was telling Darren about that. Eh? I was nerding yeah. out with him hard, man. Because this yeah. is the funny thing. I've been like a fan of Darren since I was about 16 or 17. And yeah. I followed his career, bro. The Trinity Roots EP, Holly. Yeah. And then yeah. on to the, – the funny thing is, bro, he's playing in quarter now as well. And yeah, I've that's been, right. I've loved quarter since the early days. Yeah. I was at a, a barbecue with Fran just on Friday. Um he, he invited me and the family over because he's a my mm. boy as well now. Yeah. And you know, like hanging out with these guys and just going, fuck man, like I've just been I've been into you dudes for so long now and now like <laughs> I'm just having a yarn with you cats and it's just yeah, so buzzing man. Cool. They're the nicest dudes, all of them. But yeah. my point being is, yeah, following these guys' these guys' career as a as a fan and now um hanging with them as a pair is just a real buzz, bro.
0: Yeah, that's really cool, and and um, I've got to speak to a lot of these guys. You know, Fran and yeah, and like I said, Darren and Sam, and then you know also also Brad, a bunch. Yeah, Brad and and Joel and other. Yeah, got, yeah. To, got to hang with those guys. You know, it's awesome. But just yeah. just going back to Darren, I I've checked this out. Oh
1: yeah, I know this very well, bro.
2: I love. It. <laughs> 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 bro, I've listened yeah. to that
1: intro. So, and I love the stick hit. I love the stick yeah. hit that he does in the middle of it over the yeah. roll. Yeah. Every, oh, bro, I love that that intro. That's so good. This is jazz chops, eh? God he's a bastard.
0: That's it. And then <laughs> and then and then there's this one. <laughs>
1: good, yeah, bro. Yeah. Totally. What about um philosophy? The pocket and philosophy. Yes, yes. That's bro. that kind
0: of that's that dilla thing, eh? He's got the Diller thing yeah. going on with that,
1: um, uh, and bro. He doesn't budge from it. No fills. Yeah, he just stays on it the whole time. And that's what I love and hate about him. He just stays <laughs> on it. He doesn't because yeah. he's got so much facility, but he doesn't need to use it.
0: Yeah, that's right. This pocket, bro.
1: And where he comes in as well. Listen to where he comes in.
2: So
1: good, man. Yeah, and he he just sits bro. on that. Yeah, it's it, hard too, man. I played along to that song, and it's way more Dilla than what you even think it is when you're actually yeah. playing
2: it. Yeah, hard, bro.
0: Yeah,
1: it's funny
2: yeah. funny you and say that because, because as well.
0: yeah, and because you know Dilla, those beats were were machines, man. I know, you know and you've got. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah he's swagging hard it. but he's real metronomic yep. too it's a weird groove because he's so on but mm. he's so in that swag feel as well he's pretty yeah. much as swag as you could be on it before yeah. it becomes a swing groove you know yeah yeah it's so good man yeah
0: see darren's darren's old drum teacher he was my drum he was my drum teacher at school who's that lance philip
1: oh true i've yeah. heard of him
0: yeah he's uh he's based out of the um the uni down there in wellington and he, he has been for years, and he plays in the roger fox big band
1: oh yeah, um, them, yeah
0: i've i've yeah, I've interviewed him go back and listen to that and and um you get to know a little bit about Lance he's a credible drummer credible musician, and um like it. yeah someone everyone should know about I think.
1: Yeah, definitely. That's awesome. I mean, shit. If he taught you and Darren,
0: that's that's awesome. That's, that's yeah, well, don't, don't, you don't,
1: don't compare me. I'm throwing you in there, bro.
0: No, 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 bro. <laughs> um, um. All right. Well, let's talk about your song now. That that I asked you to um to choose today. So before I start playing it, if you can introduce it, um, yeah. Tell me how you tell me how you came up with the song and and why it's why it's the song that's had that big impact?
1: Yeah, I suppose like regardless, okay, so this song has like a couple of meanings for me. For one, like it's Trinity Roots. And so Trinity Roots is sort of my, like Warren's my, he's my Messiah in New Zealand. He's like him and Neil, they're my guys. Um, I've been a fan of Warren like all through his career as well. Um, And his story, you know, Mm. being a tutor at the, the, the jazz school in Wellington and stuff. And so back in the early days, just watching him, do his thing and and listening to it all and stuff and i got into um the ep and this is when i found out about darren because darren played on Mm -hmm. the ep but he didn't play on the album and so like regardless of the drumming that darren does on the ep which is the song that we're about to play when the album came out the same song was released on the album as an acoustic version there's no drums on it Mm -hmm. and it's one of the most loveliest songs and the sentiment behind it it's, it's like forever one of my favorite songs. There's a beautiful video that goes with it. I listen to this song, honestly, bro, all the time. It's like, it's I can never get enough of this song just because it's like, it's just so friggin' beautiful. And then just the lyrics as well. So it's called The Little Things. And basically the whole point being it's the little things that matter. And so when you listen to the acoustic version, it's just a beautiful love song to life. And then when you listen to the EP version, um, you get to hear Darren do a... a the drum and bass, live drum and bass groove over it. And I got to ask him about this groove because I've been fanning out. I know this these, this this groove really well. I'll try mm. not to talk while we listen to parts of it because I won't be able to hear it. But um, I know all his blemishes and details that he does in it. He does a triplet feel about three-quarters of the way through yep. where he actually yep. pulls off. Um, yep. I know that very well, bro. And I, I got to ask him what snare he used. He used the 12-inch Brady Sheoke. Um, and yeah, and like at that time he was deep in jungle, which is so cool that he's in shapeshifter now. Yeah, exactly. I don't think they, I mean, they probably knew his history actually, cause shapeies was sort of, um, doing their thing back then as well. They've been together yeah. for 21 years now, yeah. but it's a real cool full circle for D and shapeshifter. This mm-hmm. guy was doing jungle back then bro live when not mm-hmm. many cats were, you know, like, mm-hmm. and really, really well. So yeah, I just think this is a really cool, um, a uh, piece of history of Darren and Trinity roots and in the bigger picture of Trinity as well because the song is even more than this to me mm-hmm. yeah for of bro Yeah man What I love about these this take as well is that you're hearing all the placements of the sticks around the snare you're hearing the sides like it's not it's not it's not even or but the the voices of the what that snare can offer as well when he's hitting a little bit to left of field, a little bit to right of field, and then the accents that he throws in on the hats. This is such a detailed drum groove, bro. There's so much going on in it. And you talk to Darren about it and he's just like, Oh nah bro, I was just oh bro. Like <laughs> yeah. it's like the guy couldn't be any more humble. And like I, I hold this drum piece in just such high regard, eh? Yeah, yeah that's cool. as you were that's cool. <laughs>
2: Your the little things They break you
0: Here, here it comes, eh? Nearly.
1: Oh yeah.
2: Yeah, there you go. That,
1: that's it. There. There's another one too, though, bro. There's oh, another one a little bit later. Right. It's a shell. Oh, <laughs> Have a beautiful fill there
2: Pass it around Pass it oh. around this Here we go move on. It's the last so good.
1: It's funny the way, like I've talked to a few people about their track, eh? And, some people just don't get on my level with it, but right. I like but man, that 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 drum take just I don't know, it just does it for me so much. Eh? It's the details too, like his dynamics and the ghosting and it's got full control the whole time. There's nothing there that he didn't intend to do. There's no yeah. mistakes. It's just exactly and that's the thing with Darren. He knows how to play, bro. He yeah. knows how to control the situation, you know? Yeah. 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 Wicked man.
0: All right. So what are you up to now? What What's coming up in the pipeline? Um, how's the rest of 2021 looking? You're in the right place, definitely, in the world to be, <laughs> to be living out 2021. Um, yeah. Yeah, what, what's, what's the go? What's on the fly?
1: Yeah, so it's been um, a bit of a transition period. Obviously, leaving Melbourne, selling the business and stuff has sort of given me an opportunity to, to sort of reassess where I want to go going forward. Um, but there's also like a, a moment in time too where – I've got a brief period here where I can upskill if I want, if I choose to. Mm. And so uh, I've only been here eight weeks. It's only been a short while, but things have been sort of pumping along pretty quick. So I've been actually in the last couple of weeks in particular, uh, well, my goal for 2021 was to learn how to record myself and get into production for myself essentially. So Um, I'm going to be working with a few audio companies this year and whatnot, Um, stuff that will sort of be announced a little bit later. But that was my personal goal was to conquer um, how to record myself. And then at the same time, man, like I've always – because I play guitar – and a little bit of piano, not much, but a little bit. And we've got a we've got a keyboard because my daughter plays piano. I've actually wanted to get better at the theory side of things as well because I've wanted, I've always wanted to be like an all-encompassed musician. Mm. Um, I listen to music that way. I definitely play music that way. Uh, I contribute to music in bands as a drummer, um, more as a musician. I tend to sort of fall into those band-leading roles, you know. Like, um, and so I just kind of wanted to. I, I want to upskill really in the whole thing. So. Back when I was 18, I did Wintech for, we didn't even get into this, but I did Wintech for about a year, um, the, the three-year bachelor degree, music major, and then my son's mum got pregnant, so I decided to leave so that she could continue going to tech and finish off her degree. And, yeah, I've kind of come to a place now where I want to um, reconnect with some of that and turn the brain back on. So I've actually just been talking to the local Polytech, and um, they have they've said that I can – come in on second year on a two-year diploma uh, which focuses on advanced music theory and music production and because of my industry experience and my age and also my previous WinTech stuff yeah I can actually come in in the second year and um, I potentially don't have to do all the papers as well to get the full diploma and I'll get access to you know, the um the facilities they have and they also work with other studios as well. And it looks like it's gonna be a situation that's really on my terms too, and they're awesome tutors. And so yeah, bro, I'm 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 really using gonna use this year to uh, upskill while I can before me and my wife sort of settle down and um my lifestyle is sort of set by my wage or whatever I have and I can't really break away from it. So gotcha. this yeah. year is about upskilling, bro, and I'm gonna go back to the books and and um and do a bit of learning, bro. <laughs> <laughs>
2: that's me. Um,
1: that's which I'm really really fucking excited about, man, because I have not, honestly, dude. Because I've I've had I had my as soon as my son came into my life, it's just been about earning, and surviving, and giving him a life. And then I met my wife, and then we had a kid. And it's just all been about that. While I've been doing the drumming on the side, and it's always been this thing that's a little bit over here, to be honest. Yeah. But this year, um. I think coming back here and just the situations that have popped up in the last few weeks and the people that I'm fortunate enough to be hanging out with now. And, um, and even the couple of projects that I've got on musically at the moment, I've just Mm -hmm. realized this is the time to sort of double down on me. um, And, and then just make whatever i want of it bro like i'm interested in teaching i'm interested in workshops i'm interested in performing i'm interested in um and recording for people um i'm talking to andrew from solarosa at the moment and well we're going to do some drums um later in the year when he's cuz he's putting together some some work for his next album and you know like the world's really small here bro and so yeah. i kind of just want to arm myself with as much knowledge as i can um while i can and so that's what i'm doing this year
0: that's cool man yeah, all power yeah. to you for that. That's great. That's really cool. Um, anybody you want to give a shout out to?
1: Well, I definitely want to give a shout out to my lovely wife. I don't really mention her enough. I mean, she came into my life when my son was two, and every ex- success that I've had is definitely because she has supported all those decisions and everything that I've attempted to do. So, got to give um give, give her a big big cheer. <laughs>
2: yeah.
1: Um, and then. It's Always good to give the company, my companies a shout out too because um they look after me really well and I'm real honored to play their gear. So Yamaha drums, uh, Istanbul cymbals, Remo drum heads. I've just signed up with Winston Winston drumsticks recently, who are a Swedish drumstick company. Awesome. Thomas Hark uses them, um, Morgan Agrin uses them as well. Awesome sticks, super stoked to be with them. And then, yeah, just um, a couple of other guys like Mono Cases, mm. um, Allbirds have always had my back as well, which is really mm. cool. Um, yeah, and that's that's about it. Audio, audio Technica as well. They've they've always um, been good to me too.
0: I saw your face on a Zoom ad.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I signed up with Zoom recently, actually, just before awesome. I left um, Australia, which is funny because um, I'm not even there now. But New Zealand mm-hmm. and Australia, um, they sort of work within the same realm. So yeah, I'm stoked to be working with Zoom as well, which is cool. We've got some ideas for some stuff to happen later in the year. That's great. So, yeah, and meanwhile, I just really want to conquer this production stuff, bro, and really start to, you know, add to the repertoire. That's great. Maybe put, go- maybe stop recording with my phone. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it still sounds good though. Um, but <laughs> awesome. g- going back to the Zoom thing, like like we're doing it, we're doing this online, but all my mobile podcasts um, have been done and still are being done with my Zoom H4n Pro.
1: Oh yeah, the H yeah. four N I know those. They're good, it's, eh? It's great,
0: it's fantastic,
1: yeah. Hang yeah. On, that's solid, eh?
0: Just I make sure I keep it in the box. Look after it. Yeah, true. <laughs> but
2: that's look the at thing. That.
1: Yeah, I got
0: some. Yeah. I got got some mics. I plug into it now. It's just great. It's just a great awesome, little tool. Bro. Yeah,
2: yeah. No,
1: they're awesome.
0: Cool, Stan. This has been great, man. It's been awesome.
1: Yeah, it's been great yarning with you, bro. Thanks for um letting me gas bag. I always always dig a good chat, and you're a good man to chat with. So I appreciate oh, thanks, it.
0: Bro. Yeah, look forward to catching up when we can. Uh, when we can get over there.
1: Um, yeah, fuck you, yeah, bro. Anytime you're local in Papamoa, give me a holler and we'll um, go get a coffee or just have a coffee of mine. And also, bro, you you know, like, thanks to you, man, for what you do, eh? Like, you know, you bring a lot of people to the forefront, forefront that I didn't know or people that I've been wanting to listen to or just hear their story that I haven't. they haven't spoken with other um, podcasts. I don't know why. So thanks to you, bro. It's um, really thanks cool me, you bro. do this. It takes a lot Appreciate. of um, effort to do this shit, you know?
0: Appreciate it, man. Thanks so much. The man. All right, Stan, look after <laughs> yourself, bro, and, and um, yeah, we'll be in touch.
1: Yeah, cheers, bro. All
2: Take right. it
1: easy. Later, bro. Yeah, you too.
2: See ya. Bye. Cheers.